Thank you for joining us here for episode five of the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about CU football, going to talk about the 2023 schedule, some updates on transfers. We'll talk a little bit about Coach Prime in the media, and then we'll shift gears into basketball uh, right after a quick draft segment of the best CU reporters. And then after basketball, after men's basketball, we'll talk about women's basketball as well briefly. So with that, Chase, do you want to open us up to our first segment? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first things first is we have to talk about CU football. Obviously, the entire schedule will be posting tomorrow. Uh, we're recording this on the 17th. So the, the actual full schedule is posting on the 18th. But we did get kind of an interesting prelude to the schedule where the first five games were dropped today. Um, as we we knew already that we were going to start at TCU, home against Nebraska, home against CSU, at Oregon now has been released, and then USC at home. So you know, just first reactions right off the cuff. I have to say that this is a absolute monster of a schedule. It's, I mean, last year we were, I think, the second uh, strength of schedule, depending on who you who you looked at, only behind Auburn, um, and that's purely because of SEC bias and the fact that they had to play the mighty Penn State Nittany Lions. But you know, it, it, there's no reprieve for the team this year either. Uh, I really do think TCU is going to take a step back, but. Any way you cut it, you know, the Pac-12 intro starting with at Oregon and then USC at home is just a horrific punishment um, for a school that you would think they'd want to see do well. And then, you know, the other thing that is that Arizona State game that was rumored to get moved and then allegedly got denied by the NCAA. Um, So a lot of things that didn't quite go our way and a pretty tough schedule. But, you know, just first reactions, thoughts, you know, what, what do we think might be a realistic outcome of those five games? Yeah, that is a brutal, brutal schedule. And as you alluded to, Chase, schedule in 2022 is insane, too. That non-conference schedule, when you just look at the sheer win totals of the teams that we played against, we played against the runner-up, albeit they got killed. I get it. But they still made it to the championship game. We played them at home to start off the season. They end up with, what, I think they 13-2 and is their final record, 13-2. and um, And then go on the road to play a, I believe a 10 win air force team and then go on the road again to play a nine win Minnesota team. And that's your non-conference. And then we played every single ranked team in the pack 12 too. every single ranked team. It was insane. And I'm not trying to suggest that this 2022 team was better than, than they indicated. I think that this was a, this, you could make a case that it was one of the worst teams ever to play that type of schedule. To there's a reason football well that too but but at the same token when you look at the final rankings in offense and defense they were like 129th out of 131 teams in offense and in defense it tells you all you need to know about how insane that schedule was and obviously how futile that team was so coming into this year i actually do love this type of scheduling i, I it does stink from the perspective of being competitive. But when you look at how hype, how much media hype this team already has, 
And then you're starting off the season playing the championship runner-up who's taken a lot of egg on the face for their performance in that national championship game. And they're going to lose quite a bit. So we understand that they're probably not going to be the same, but there's still going to be some interesting hype. And it's in Dallas, which is where Deion Sanders won Super Bowl, right? The Cowboys. And that was where he was living for a good portion of his, of his time uh, as a retired player. And then you come home and then playing your two biggest rivals, historic rivals, Nebraska and CSU, who we don't play every year anymore either. And that just so happens to be our non-conference schedule. And then you turn around and then you go on the road to play Oregon, who's arguably been the bellwether for this whole conference for the last 20 years. You know, I understand USC had a good run, but they took, again, they took a lot of heat for all of their recruiting stuff with Reggie Bush. And then USC, my goodness, USC, it just, the hype for those games is going to be outrageous. And the just the thought of CU making it through that stretch above 500 like 3 and 2 even. Oh my goodness. It would be it would be reckless. Like it would be amazing, especially if one of those three uh, those three wins if we beat Nebraska, CSU and USC, it's going to be a spectacular run for CU fans. I can't wait. Yeah, serious. I I kind of disagree. I I hate this schedule for this year like his coach prime already has a target on his back i think in general and if cu gets off to a slow start the media is just going to pile on and be like coach prime can't coach he can recruit but he can't coach and that's what i'm nervous for i will say with tcu i think people are overestimating tcu i think they got a little lucky this year they were a really good team don't get me wrong but next year, they're losing Max Duggan. They're also losing a ton of seniors. So I think we actually have a shot in that TCU game. Sure, it's on the road, but don't count the buffs out. I don't think that's a, a definite loss on the schedule. I think that'll be a close game. And then CU fans are going to hate this. This is going to be a hot take. But that Nebraska game, I'm nervous about. We're 2-0 versus Nebraska in the last 10 years. And Nebraska's going to be playing pissed off. Nebraska fans think they're back. Granted, they think they're back every season, and obviously they screw that up every year. And just a quick, uh, just for the sake of transparency, Jake, you you would know that very well because where did your wife go to school? Can you remind remind us? I, I don't know if all of our <laughs> our audience might no not be personal oh, details. Oh, no calling me out on the on the podcast. Well, I'll let the fans fill in the blank of where she went to school. <laughs> but do not get me wrong; I want to see you to win that game, but. I think I'm nervous for that game, right? Because if Nebraska wins this that game, the rivalry will be even more heated, right? That's Deion Sanders' first game at head coach. CU was 2-0 before that game. We thought we would win this game. That was one we're circling right now in these first five games that we can win and probably will win. And if they win that game in Folsom Field, that's going to reignite the rivalry, rivalry overnight. So that one I'm nervous for, but I think the boss will pull through in that one. Right now I'm looking at the schedule and realistic, it's probably two and three, even though I don't want to say that. If they leave this five-game stretch three and two, I'll be happy. And I think um, other CU fans will be happy as well. Uh, Sam, did you have something to add? Yeah. I mean, I'm not worried at all about the TCU game. Like It's going to be Coach Prom's first game on the road against probably a pretty – probably at least a top 15 team, you'd think, top 20. 
Like if they get if they lose that game, whatever. I'm worried about the Nebraska game. I'm worried about the CSU game. I think it'll take a little bit longer to turn around this team than a lot of people will think. Because I think it's just a hard thing to do. I don't expect them to beat all the Oregon's, the USC's maybe in year one, but I expect them to be closer. But like Nebraska at home, I mean, the money will be good for CU to get all their season tickets paid for again by um, Nebraska fans. So that money will be good. Um, it's interesting to see if the what the support level is for Coach Prime at home. Because we saw in the last time Nebraska was here, it was like 80% Nebraska fans. Do you guys think it'll be the same? Do you guys think it'll be worse? Yeah, uh, well, I can just tell you from from uh, 100% certainty that I think there's going to be a lot more Buffs fans. And the reason I know that is I just tried to renew my season tickets. Um, I've, you know, I haven't lived in Colorado for years now. And so I, I hadn't kept them renewed, but I, I did have them while I was still there, still there as an alum. And for the first time in my entire life, I was told that I may not be able to buy tickets. And I think the cool part, I mean, obviously that's like shocking and it's, you know, it's great for the university. I'm, I'm happy for that. A little annoyed um, about the fact that I might not be able to, to get tickets. But what's interesting is that the way that they're breaking the ties is not who ordered the tickets first, but whether or not you've owned tickets in the past. Right. And so the way that will benefit obviously is that if you haven't had season tickets in the past, i.e. you're a Nebraska fan just trying to get season tickets so that you can get the ticket for the, the game, you're, that stunt's not going to work per se anymore unless you're one of the Nebraska fans from a couple of years ago who did the exact same thing. So um, it sounds like, you know, if you have some ticket history, you'll be okay and, and still be able to get through. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where I really do think the CU, the CU fan base, and we, we've talked about this in the, in the best, so I don't want to beat it to death, but the CU fan base has been hungry for a long time to see a winner. And so I, I really do think that, you know, I, I think we're gonna have a better showing in Folsom than we have in the past against Nebraska. That being said, um, you know, everyone gave their their predictions. I genuinely and and people can hate me for this. I think we go one and four with that intro. Um, I think we beat CSU. I think you know for the first time in the last two games, you know, obviously um, we're gonna be. I, I really do think we're gonna be the more talented team on paper than Nebraska. But so I'm not, I feel I'm like I'm not the only one nervous. It sounds like okay. I, okay. No, I, but I'm also not married, or uh, I, I'm not in a relationship with uh, someone who might be a fan of our historic hated rival. But yeah, Chase um, isn't nervous. He just wants them. He just knows they're going to lose. <laughs> yes, but, <laughs> and to be fair, I th I thought we were going to lose both games against Nebraska. But for the first time, I really do think we're going to be the more talented team on paper. But I think there's a lot of expectations and I think people are underestimating, you know, it's easier to turn around an FCS team than an FBS team, especially one that was as bad as Colorado. This schedule start is just absolutely horrific. If we go one and four, like I think people need to remember that that's okay. And that progress is being made. My only concern is that if we go one and four and to Jake's point earlier, you know, the, the media starts to turn against coach prime. People want to see him fail. There's a lot of people that want to see him fail, right? There's a lot of people that are, are cheering for him as well, but you know, if he ends up going one and four and, and things aren't looking good and they can't turn it around by the end of the season, I think that's going to have a really, really negative recruiting impact in the long term. Uh, and so I, you know, part of the reason why people want to be around Deion Sanders is because he's a winner. Um, I think he's a winner regardless of what our, our record is next year, if I'm being completely honest, but it's one of those things where you have to wonder, you know, the, the magic and the allure requires that we win a lot of games. And so I, I think people need to be careful about overreacting if we go one and four in that first stretch, because that is a heinous, horrible start.
Yeah, and I'm nervous about the players' mentality too, right? You have these a bunch of kids coming over from Jackson State that are used to winning, and if they start off one and four, I'm nervous if they're going to have the confidence in the in the following games. Sreyas, did you have something to add? Yeah, I really appreciate you guys' perspectives because I I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. It is going to be a really difficult stretch, and I I, I kind of t- threw out the two and three start. Um, three and two would be amazing. I would be stoked with a three and two start. Don't get me wrong, but that, that is a, it's a sobering reality. And I'm really looking inward at myself and looking at how low my standards have become. I look at a one and four start against that schedule and being like, Oh, you know, that's fine. You know, you know, as long as they're competitive, but the, the thing is you guys are, have nailed that the national narrative is going to be a lot worse and they're going to skewer coach prime and they're going to skewer CU for that, especially with how much hype there is and all of that. But you know, in all of that, I still love, I love the drama. I I, I watch sports for the drama, right? I love the fact that it's just just so much drama involved with those first five games. It's must watch TV. And if they come in and they get, they get beat badly in every single one of those games, like they were this year, then it is, it's, it might be must watch in a different way where all the haters are going to want to jump in and, and say that they are right about CU and how, you know, coach prime can't coach and coach prime can't do this and can't do that, blah, blah, blah. So, but, but I love the fact that it's just putting yourself out there for the extreme possibilities and given the suffering that we've been through, um, and I'll, and I'll say, I, I don't know if the three of you guys, since some of you guys are out of state and stuff, I, I've been a season ticket holder this whole time. I was a season ticket holder last year. I renewed my uh, young alumni tickets this year, and they're the same price as they always were. And so I was very fortunate to, to avoid that cue. But <laughs> along with that comes suffering and seeing some really, really bad football that has lowered your level of expectations. So it is going to be really fascinating to see how the newly energized portions of this fan base and then the haters react, depending on the the wide range of outcomes that could come out from that first five game stretch. But at the end of the day, I do love the the Bill McCartney mindset of anywhere, anyone, anytime. And the fact that Coach Prime comes right into that environment and he has He's rebuilding the team basically from scratch. And we'll get to talking about some of those transfers. It is a full rebuild overnight. This staff does truly believes that they can win now. They've made that abundantly clear. And I'm just excited to see it play out because from my perspective, it can't possibly be worse than last season or 2012. If they go 0-12 next year, it's still not worse because there's still hope, right? So I'm excited. Yeah, one one little piece of hope that kind of builds off what you were talking about, Sirius, is no matter how – I mean, like the whole year we're talking about the, the talent gap between CU and the other teams. CU was down by one at halftime to the team that came runner-up. Like, it was, obviously it wasn't the same TCU team that built, moment, that built momentum throughout the season and, you know, finished the year really strong, but CU was there, and they didn't – they. They were terrible, but they were close. They didn't even give up an offensive touchdown the first half. No. That was on a punt return. If you catch if you catch a good team on a bad day, I think CU has the talent now to take advantage of that, where they didn't have that in the past. So 
I uh, I pulled up the 2016 schedule of that magical rise here. Week one, we played Colorado State at home, home in quotes. That, that was at mile high. That's similar to this schedule. We got CSU in the first four games. Um, week two is Idaho State. Week three, number four, Michigan. Very similar to TCU. That was on the road as well. And then get this, week five is at Oregon, similar to this schedule. And that was the pivotal game in 2016 on the road in Oregon where Akello Witherspoon picked off that ball in the end zone. And that was the turning point for the 2016 season. And then after those Oregon games in 2016, we played USC. And USC is right after Oregon. So I could see, you know, some little poetic, some poetic justice lining up here. And it could be a magical start to this season. Who knows? Yeah, I, I, um, I think it's fun to delude ourselves. I, I will say that I think the difference here is that this is a year unlike, like, it's always good to have a tune-up game in NCAA. Everyone does it except for apparently Colorado these days. This would be a perfect team that could really, really, truly benefit from a tune-up game of any sort, right? Like an Idaho state kind of game this year would have been just phenomenal, right? Just let the kids unload on some, some people to build some confidence. And we just don't have that. And in some ways, you know, it really makes for our season to be much more interesting, but in other ways, I think it's unfortunate just for this kind of team, right? That, that team that you're referencing, Jake, and I, I, you know, I sound like the grumpiest guy on this podcast right now, right? Cause I say one in four and then that, you know, everyone should give up hope, but you know, this is one of those things where it's going to take some time to gel. And I think that having a tune-up game would have been amazing. You know, obviously CSU is going to be our tune-up game. Um, I'm hoping that we just absolutely send them to the buses at halftime. But it's the other component, and we mentioned this kind of at the beginning, was, you know, they tried to move the Arizona State game to the first game um, during week zero. And that would have been, you know, essentially a tune-up game. Arizona State is a disaster program right now. Um, I think they made a good hire in the long run. But you know, that team's going to be stinky this year. And it would have been phenomenal to kind of take it out on them week zero, kind of show everyone who coach prime is. It would have been great for the PAC 12 because they obviously would have had the TV rights for that game. um, Whereas the big 12 has the TV rights for this game at TCU. So, you know, a lot of things would have been great for it. I know we tweeted about how it would have been awesome for the PAC 12 to get that media exposure and sell those ad dollars and stuff like that. um, When a, when a new deal's coming in imminently, but it would have been really awesome to give, the team someone to just kind of to prep in and um it's unfortunate that the week zero thing didn't get approved i still you know maybe this is where i'm an optimistic buffs fan but i'm hoping that at the 11th hour we'll find a way to get that changed but um we just don't have that kind of game this year and it's it's unfortunate man maybe we should play northwestern ireland like a certain red terrible team that we hate did last year and lost don't talk about jake's wife's alma mater like that straight (laughs) Um, one other thing I wanted to discuss about the schedule is when was the last time we played CSU and Folsom? Don't remind me. My God, I was, I was there. That's, that's definitely was something that, that no one other than Strayus would know. <laughs> that was my sophomore year, guys. Like, I was at that game. 2009, think, right? 1945. I think I, I think I spoke about this game on one of the earlier podcasts, it was one of the worst, it was honestly one of the worst experiences that I've ever experienced for any sporting event. That's how every Soraya's story starts. (laughs) That was, that was the worst. That that had to have been the worst. Like I, I've never been a part of an opposing fan base storming your field 
And I hope I never have the opportunity to be a part of that ever again. It was, it was horrible. It was horrible because we went into that season and Hawkins said 10 wins, no excuses. And then turn around and you're hosting a bad, that was a bad, that was a three win CSU team. That was, we were one of their three wins that year and they turn around and beat us and their fans stormed the field. They end up going three and nine. Buffs end up going three and nine. And, you know, at that point, Hawkins is a dead man walking, comes in the next season. We have to keep him because of the buyout. And then it, it was rough, man. I, I I hated that memory. I absolutely hated that memory. And it ain't, it ain't intramurals, brother. It ain't. <laughs> apparently, it is intramurals. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was, it was, that was horrible. So. Uh, I I've had this, I've had this particular game circled in my calendar for 14 years now. <laughs> Cause, uh, I think it was supposed to happen at some point before uh, maybe no, that game. I think the game that got canceled from the COVID season was in Fort Collins. I really wanted to go to that one too. You know, I wasn't going to storm their field. Certainly not as a, not as a full adult and non-student, but God, that I, I love those games being on campus. I know that's a whole other topic, but it's it's gonna it would have been a hype thing even before Coach Prime, and now you have this going on too. Oh man, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I get that people are nervous for it though. I I, I definitely get it, but at the same time, uh, I think this Coach Prime wouldn't want to have it any other way. He he seems to be the type of person that wants to take on a challenge head first and not back down from it. Kind of like we've talked about the parallels between Coach Prime and, and Coach Mack and their mindset. So I love this for him. He's going to have so much material to just tell tell the team to get out there and just go beat two rivals and the team that just lost in the national championship game in the first three weeks and then come in and play the two bellwethers for the conference. Well, although USC is leaving too, so that's even more hype, right? It's their last time getting to play them. We've never beaten them ever in our entire history. Oh, come on, man. Let's go. And I, I think that's worth mentioning is that, you know, we've been abused by CU football for our entire lives. And so we fully expect for the worst to happen. But I can tell you with 100% confidence that there is one person who's absolutely not worried about having a schedule like this and is 100% willing to play anyone on the any surface at any time. And that's coach prime. Like there's no chance that he's afraid of the schedule. I don't know how it'll turn out, but that's the kind of mindset that you're going to have to have to be successful in this. So definitely looking forward to it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a long way away, but cannot wait for August. And this is the first time in a long time that I think I can say that. All right. With that, let's transition over to the recent transfer movement at CU. I'm going to, run through the transfers in and transfers out starting in January of 2023. Uh, and then after that, we can just talk reactions, overall thoughts. So with that, I'm going to read this off of on three. They're a good transfer uh, website just for transfers in and out. It's a good resource. Although on three did piss off some CU fans this week with Cormani McLean, but we'll get into that later. Uh, so with that, Starting January 5th, Maddox Kopp, quarterback, I believe he was a freshman, transferred out of CU and went to Miami of Ohio. I texted one of my buddies who went to Miami of Ohio as a football fan there, and he was really excited to get Maddox Kopp. I think he'll be a solid player. Um, but, our, I mean, our quarterback room is now really deep with those two freshmen coming in. And then Shinoir, obviously. So Maddox Kopp leaving the buffs. He's an 85-grade quarterback. And then next up, this was a big one that, uh, frustrated a lot of CU fans. Cole Becker 
kicker, stud kicker, uh, on on threes, a three star 80 rating. And he transferred from CU to the fellow Pac 12 South School, Utah. Um, but shortly after that, Dion went out and got Jace Feely, the son of famous kicker Jay Feely in the NFL. It's a 79 rating on on three, and he came to CU from Arizona State. And then there's a couple other guys. So Yusuf Margarbil, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but offensive tackle, 87 grade. He transferred to CU from Florida. Miles Slusher, safety, 87 grade. He transferred to CU from Arkansas. Kabasi Smoke, running back, 87 grade. He transferred to CU from Kentucky. Taylor Upshaw, edge defensive line guy, uh, 86 rating. He transferred to CU from Michigan. Jordan Dominic, edge, 87 grade. He transferred to CU from Arkansas. And Kendrick Breedlove, he's a cornerback, 86 grade, transferred to CU from Old Miss. Guys, what are your overall thoughts, reactions? Any of these guys stand out? Chase, you want to open us up? Yeah, I, I think before we get into the actual nuts and bolts of it, we almost made an entire segment about first team all name um, Colorado players throughout history. We still might do it, but I just have to tell you that this transfer class having Cavassier Smoke, which Jake butchered horribly, by the way, and totally ruined the name. And then Kendrick Breedlove. I mean, come on, just absolute world-class names. I will say Cavassier Smoke coming in, I have no idea how much playing time he'll actually get because with Edwards coming in, he's he's going to be the guy, I, I think. But, you know, absolute bruiser, 215, 5'10 guy. So he might be actually a nice compliment, if we're being honest. But what a world-class name. Miles Slusher is fantastic. Yusuf Magarbil or whatever that is, you know, I'll give Jake some credit for, for messing that one up. For better or for worse, we have done an excellent job getting some great names on uniforms in Boulder. That's the only yeah. thing that matters to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so after Chase's great insight to talk substance here, two guys I'm very excited about are the two edge D linemen, Taylor Upshaw and Jordan Dominic. Taylor comes from Michigan. Jordan comes from Arkansas. Brian Howell tweeted out a stunning statistic earlier this week, and he said – Sacks in 2022, Colorado's entire defense had nine sacks in 2022. Those two commits, Taylor Upshaw and Jordan Dominic, had 9.5 sacks in 2022. They had a half a sack more than CU's entire roster last year. I think Jordan Dominic Dominic had like seven and a half of those sacks too, single-handedly. He was one of the leading sack men in the SEC. That's a huge pickup. Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a position that CU's lacked production at for a while. I think the last edge guy that really produced was Jimmy Gilbert, maybe maybe Derek a couple a little bit of Derek McCartney in there, but not nobody since then has really stepped up and taken a real stranglehold on that position. And with these two guys, you have guys who've proven they can do it at a high level coming in, and hopefully they can continue it here. A little Mustafa Johnson love. He he had yeah. a pretty decent career. And I think, you know, we talked about that in our first episode, right? Like those were places where we were concerned that maybe there wouldn't be as much talent as in the Lions as on, and on the edge. And, you know, there, there's some other things going on in Arkansas. I don't know if you guys saw this, but they're one of the highest transfer out schools, which is kind of surprising considering they didn't have a whole lot of coaching turnover. But that was a team that you know, the defense might not have been the shining point of that team, but these guys are some dogs that are coming in. Um, you know, and it's kind of nice to see 
uh, Slusher and Dominic having a little bit of history with each other over at Arkansas. Uh, but we're getting guys with great size. We're getting guys that are going to fill gaps and be able to play immediately, right? Like these aren't guys that are coming in from the FCS and trying to step up a whole level. These are guys coming from the SEC and the Big Ten, um, you know, Jace Feely coming over from Arizona State. Now, you know, we talked about this kind of, or at least Jake alluded to it, but it was kind of disappointing to see Cole Becker leaving. Um, obviously, if anyone's watched Prime on Prime Video, you would have known that uh, Coach Prime has, you know, a, a, a bit of a man crush on uh, Mata, the kicker he's bringing in. Um, and so between Mata and Feely, you know, Feely's one of those guys that has huge upside. Um, it, it sucks to see Becker go, but you know, if that's the cost for bringing in this kind of talent is we have to downgrade a little bit of kicker. Um, originally I was kind of pissed off about it. You know, I was all over Twitter about it, but that's just one of those things where, you know, you have to be okay with some of these downsides. And frankly, we're opening up some scholarships, right? You know, we're, we're losing, you know, Matt, losing, losing Maddox. We uh, just lost um, J, uh, not JT Daniels, uh, JT Shroud today. Uh, I wish we'd lost JT Daniels, uh, JT Shroud leaving out today. You know, it, it, it's kind of hard to see those guys leave that we had invested in, but it, it's also scholarships that we have to get off the books so that we can bring in more of these guys. So, you know, pros and cons, but pretty exciting. And Chase, you mentioned uh, um, the kickers, Cole Becker. few fans were super frustrated to see him go. I think the 247 Sports page had like 10 pages just on our kickers. And I have it up. So I have the Chris Saylor kicking uh, ranking and Chris Saylor, he does like kicking clinics, but it's really the only true kicker ranking system. Four seven rivals on three, none of them really rate kickers well. And Cole Becker is a five star per that ranking, and he's the fourth overall kicker in the class of 2021. So few fans saw his huge rating or very excited about him coming to CU. Um, he had a decent freshman year too, but. Yeah, a bunch of people were really disappointed to see him go. And then in comparison, though, I think Chase Feely is a great get. He's a five-star on the Chris Saylor kicking ranking, and he's 14th in the class of 2021. So it's not like you're going from Cole Becker to nobody. And then, like Chase mentioned, too, Automatica is also on the bus. So who knows how good he is. I don't think he's kicked a lot of kicks that with great distance, but he's been pretty automatic, so... We'll see. I don't think it's as big of a downgrade as CU fans are, are thinking. Yeah, I'd like to go back to uh, Chase's point about wanting to see JT Daniels leave the program. Um, at this point, there's like a 50% chance if you follow a college football team, JT Daniels has been on your team and left. Um, so, <laughs> and then talking about going back to the kickers, um, you know, the one thing they always say about kickers is that it runs in families. You know, you got to have good kicking genes to be a good kicker. And with Feely, you've got that. You've got an NFL talent going through his blood. You know, he's got it in his veins. He can do it. Um, and you can never he's have got enough that good... dog in him. He's got that dog in him, you know? And that's really what you need from a kicker. You need to have you need to have that quiet confidence or that loud confidence. Anyway, I want to see a confident kicker out there. You know what I mean? Like Evan McPherson, the kicker from the Bengals, going out there, the AC, AFC championship game last year saying, I'm going to make it. That's what you need. Um, yeah, you can never have too many good kickers. We should always have the best kickers and the best punters. I don't know, Sam. The Cowboys kicker was pretty confident at the start of the game. And you know where he went? He went to Nebraska. Yeah, like Brett your wife. went to Nebraska. Like your Love wife. That. Love that. Like your wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'll be the, the running joke. 
can't wait for the week we play Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. I so to to kind of shift away from the kicker chatter, as much as CU fans love to obsess over the kicker stuff, I love I love this whole transfer class. You know, I remember in an earlier episode we were talking about how uh we wanted to see CU rebuild the lines and rebuild the trenches. They have completely rebuilt the trenches. I don't know if there's going to be a single player that was starting or even maybe getting playing time for CU in the trenches this past season that is going to get playing time next year. Um, And hopefully I'm wrong because hopefully these guys that stuck around and haven't transferred are going to come in and impress and step it up during spring ball and fall ball and, and stick it out and, show that they they're worthy of playing time and and show that improvement that's badly needed for us to stay competitive with this crazy schedule but nevertheless the the talent level there has just been completely overhauled and it's been I, I love that it's with transfers because in this new environment that you're in it's difficult to rebuild a team as bad as CU is with just high school recruits it's very difficult especially when the Pac-12 has been a destination for transfers. We were talking about how ASU was looking like they might be rough this year. Well, they actually have quite a they, – they had a ton of transfers in. I haven't seen where they rank on the transfer rankings, but they had they have ideas of overhauling their whole roster as well. That is the new normal. And, and it's possible that there could be some regulations put into place in the near future that limit this and – and prevent it from happening. But for the time being, CU's taken that opportunity and we're completely rebuilding. I mean, you know, on, on the, on the offensive side of the ball, right. We got Tyler Brown from Jackson state. He was an all American, I believe FCS all American. Um, we've got uh, all these new, uh, you know, defensive tackles that we're getting here that have put up big numbers, uh, big, big sack numbers at power five schools where they came from. I think Taylor Upshaw had a huge interception in the in the Michigan Ohio State game, if I'm not mistaken. He was a key contributor there. That that doesn't just happen by accident, right? So I love that we're rebuilding the trenches from scratch from the transfer portal. I think that that's going to serve us well um, going into this brutal schedule next year. And then before I hand it off to Chase here, also point out that a huge get is uh, Seydu Traore, right? The, the the tight end who transferred in from, I think it was Arkansas State from uh, the UK. That's a huge get. We we managed to get Seydou Traore uh, over Utah, who has a long history of developing tight ends, right? They just had uh, uh, Brant Keithy, who, God, every time that we played Utah, they would always give it to him on a jet sweep, and he would always get like 15 yards per play. You know, I'm sick of seeing Brant Keithy, but that is the Kyle Whittingham system, right? They use tight ends really well, and CU managed to get a really stud tight end transfer in that area as well. I'm really excited to see what that offense looks like because the scale positions have upgraded, but we're also doing it on the trenches. I'm stoked. It's great. Well, it's an embarrassment of riches, right? I I think a name that people have kind of forgotten about is Jimmy Horn Jr. coming in. He, you know, was desperately wanted by Penn State. A lot of my Penn State friends were actually livid when he didn't pick Penn State um, because Penn State has some pretty obvious things at wide receiver. But th- I think that's a name where people are maybe not as excited as they should be because there's just so many. Other- it's an embarrassment of riches really right now. But Jimmy Horn Jr. is going to be one of those guys that I think, you know, looking back next year, people are going to be like, he's one of my 
um, favorite people on the team. He's just an absolute stud coming in from um, South Florida. And then the other thing is like, there's so much talent, right? We have so many, you know, we've mentioned this before, but anyone who's ever played DB wants to play for Deion Sanders. Right. And so it's entirely possible. And I've seen a little bit of chatter about this on Twitter. I don't know, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, but Travis Hunter might just go play wide receiver next year. Right. Like we have so much depth at, at defensive back and in our secondary now that we could take a guy like Travis Hunter and put him in at wide receiver if we want to. And that would be entirely legitimate. And, you know, he's so talented. He can, he can play anywhere. We've talked about that before. So, I mean, the transfers are going to have an immediate impact. They're going to be, um, you know, there, there's some that are, I think, frankly, being slept on by the re- recruiting services. Um, but these are guys that are all going to be pretty much a uniform upgrade across the board. And, and just raise this point where he didn't think anyone on the, uh, Lions is going to come back and play next year. Um, frankly, I I hope they don't, based off of how much, um, how how horrible you know the, the the pass protection, the run blocking, you know, and and the defensive line was. So, you know, we'll we'll see. But it, it's just incredibly exciting. Number three overall class now at the end of it um, on two four seven with the transfer ranking. So, um, absolutely super exciting time to be in Boulder. And frankly. I'm standing by it. I think Arizona state's going to be horrible. And I think we hang 50 on them this year. So um, you can go ahead and mark me down for that one. Go buffs. Um, one more guy we forgot to mention just because he's not on on three yet, but the news broke today. VT Trout is also transferring out of the program. He announced it. Or did you talk about that chase? I missed that. Yeah. It's just the, that was the guy I mixed with JT Daniels earlier. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So JT Trout. Oh yeah. I guess we did talk about him. That's my bad. So with that, let's move on. Um, next, we wanted to talk about Coach Prime and his media presence and how much we're seeing the CU logo plastered around national media. So just to quickly run through all the things that Coach Prime has been on, he's been on uh, the GQ Sports Magazine cover, Monday Night Football with the Manning Brothers, the National Championship game, Prime on Prime. He's got the show on Amazon Prime. And then also the the YouTube channels that Dion's featured on the pregame show and well off media videos, guys. What are your thoughts of of this new media presence and and yeah, just Dion being plastered all over the national news? It's mind boggling. It's completely mind boggling. I've I've never I've never experienced this, frankly, with any of my sports teams at all, much less my college, other than maybe the Broncos, right? The Broncos definitely do have kind of a national presence, but my goodness, it is ubiquitous. I mean, we're seeing on Instagram, like famous rappers, like Snoop Dogg and stuff, just rep, rep and see you. And I, I remember, you know, there was a music video from the nineties with ice cube. I can't remember which song, but he, or maybe it was just like a random thing, but he was wearing a CU hat. And that's a big deal that we still use that gift to this day. Right. We still use it to this day because it's like, oh, look, famous guys wearing CU stuff. Lee Corso from the mid-90s when CU probably had their last college game day wearing a CU hat, that's still making the rounds. That was still making the rounds because we haven't had that level of media presence by any means, even with the successful 2001 season. That that didn't really register in the national radar other than for people who are diehard college football fans know that that was the end of the Nebraska reign of the nineties. And they've never really been back there since that's the only thing of significance, but now we're just seeing that CU logo absolutely everywhere. And as we've talked about, it's just, le- it is leading to a lot of very angry comment session it's comment sections and a lot of haters all over the place. And it's totally understandable because when you look at it, 
you're talking about a team that was, like I said, ranked 129th in offense and defense last year out of all of the, not just power five, but all the FBS teams. This was arguably one of the worst teams ever. And all of a sudden now you can't get them off the TV. I love it. I absolutely love it. The idea that I can go to SEC country, which is where a lot of my, you know, a lot of my work is. And a lot of my friends are from work and they'll have a reason to hate me now, other than just to rip on me for going to see you and having, Oh, Oh, you know, they're there. You go to, you go to a little school and they're so bad, but you know, you do you, you're such a diehard fan. Nah, man, like we coming. That's all I'm saying. Right. We coming. Yeah, and I, you know, I've had similar experiences here at Penn State, right, where my friends used to to cheer for CU for me because we were so miserably horrible that it was like, you know, the same way that you would cheer for, you know, the the homeless guy to succeed or something like that. You know, it was just like people genuinely felt bad for me, and and they they probably think most CU fans are mentally unwell at the time, right? And so to have that kind of exposure and to have you know, and this, this kind of happens if, if for the people who have seen the um, Prime on Prime video. And if you haven't, I highly recommend it. But, you know, he has people coming in all the time, like, you know, Snoop Dogg's coming in and, and and Peyton Manning's coming in. And they had Dwayne The Rock Johnson come in, you know, really big names come in. And, and you know, part of that was because he was helping promote HBCUs. But part of that part of that's just because Coach Prime is that kind of magnet personality. And so to have that kind of branding and that kind of stuff really not only is it cool and, and fun for the fans, but it's cool because that's the kind of stuff that convinces 18 year old kids that are trying to pick where they want to go to school. You know, that, that might be the thing. Matt rule is not the kind of guy that's having Snoop Dogg come in. Right. So, you know, that's just not, that's just not how you're recruiting. Right. And so to have that kind of brand marketability, the other component, and, you know, we've talked about this as well is that, these are the kinds of things that get kids, you know, not just football players, but get kids interested in thinking about applying to schools like CU. And so, you know, we've talked about this is a really expensive contract for Colorado. And we've talked about, you know, this is a big risk for Colorado. But at the end of the day, you've got Colorado, you know, on ESPN, you've got Colorado in GQ magazine, you've got Colorado on Amazon Prime, right? And and hopefully that, that partnership continues. I'm not sure if they've actually decided to do that yet or not. But you know, that kind of branding benefits the entire university that benefits everyone who's listening to this with a CU degree, you know, your, your degree, your degree itself becomes more valuable when, when Colorado's on the national stage. And so that kind of investment and that kind of that brand value has been incredible. Um, You know, I know another thing that we should probably talk about, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on this is, you know, with the well-off media, this is kind of unprecedented access that we've never had before, right? Like you can literally see, and and it can't be more different, right? Carl Terrell, you know, the football program might as well not have existed or been behind a brick wall, right, for how much we got out of it for, for media reaction. And frankly, it's probably good for our health and safety that it was kept behind a brick wall. But, you know, having the inside view of how it's run, um, you know, I, I, we can kind of talk about that day one after winter break video. You know, that's kind of access that we've never had before. Yeah, I mean, we saw we saw what happened when they tried to tried to film Carl Durrell. Gave them the gave him the little stiff arm. Heisman, yeah, yeah, the closest uh, anyone that during the Carl Durrell era got to winning an award was that stiff arm. Everybody's laughing. You guys can't hear us on the podcast, but they're all laughing. So if you're listening well, at home, please laugh. So as the, well. ir- the irony is, Carl Durrell is just coming off of being the Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Fraud doesn't count. <laughs> it's like the Bubble Lakers. It was the Bubble Lakers of <laughs> of college fo- of the Pac-12 football. That's for sure. 
Yeah, Chase, you mentioned the uh, the well-off media videos in the pregame show. Recently this week, well-off media, the the image, the thumbnail on YouTube for the recruiting weekend video was Cromani McLean, and it showed number seven. You could see his chain, and that's how people identified that it was Cromani. And then it was every couple hours they made the image smaller. I don't know if you guys saw that, but Varsal was tweeting it out. And then they eventually got rid of the photo with Cromani McLean. I think maybe because Coach Prime said something or or I don't know what happened. But honestly, it makes me a little nervous that there's this much behind the scenes. You know, I mean, people have been pissed off about Dion saying, I'm bringing my luggage and it's Louie. People were a little bit upset about Coach Brew coming in and yelling at the team to stand up and sit down, which I'm fine with. I, I love the energy, honestly. So it, like people are going to be offended because of these videos. I'm nervous that there's going to be some sort of violation that's captured on video because I think recruiting violations, honestly, are very prevalent in college football, whether on purpose or on on accident. I think maybe something on accident might be caught on video. Just with the frequency of the videos and how often they're uploaded, I don't think anyone from CU is reviewing them before Dion Jr. is uploading them. And I just hope nothing's going to come out of those videos because, again, it's the world versus Coach Prime. I think the new NIL college football world that we live in is probably more conducive to allowing this to happen. So it is, it's pretty well known that there's all sorts of underhanded tactics happening in college football for decades, absolutely forever with college football. SMU got thrown under the bus in the 80s for – you know, giving, you know, Corvettes and stuff to their players, but that's only because they're SMU and they didn't want to throw Texas or any of these other big schools in that area under the bus. Yeah. That type of stuff was always but happening. Coach Harbaugh also got in trouble for buying a recruit a sandwich and they're going to come after Dion with that, all those accusations. But yeah, that's a good point with NIL now you can kind of get away with more, more stuff. It's so uh, yeah, th- that's a good point. The Harbaugh thing is kind of gives you pause on the kind of uh, weird ticky tack stuff that gets caught despite the mountains of money that are being just funneled in through underhanded ways like Texas A&M and their insane NAL stuff, whatever's going on out there. But I think I did mention this in a previous podcast, but I think I think that the uh, I think that the candor and the raw documentation of what's happening is pretty, I think it's awesome. And the other thing that I think it's going to make for is many, many years from now, we're going to have basically unlimited access to edit together all these videos and all these memories of all these things that were happening during that time. And that's something that I, I value a great deal in my life personally. So I do understand the concern though. There is valid concern that, you know, one of these days because of how messed up college football and all of its underhanded tactics are, that there's going to be something strange that pops up in one of junior's videos, but I love it. I think it's great. And it's part of the brand for sure. It's part of what you signed up for when you get coach prime, you have, Cameras everywhere. You have celebrities everywhere. You have attention, right? You our coach is a celebrity. He is a celebrity. Whether or not Deion Sanders Jr. was posting all these videos, we would still be getting unprecedented access. And so I, I'm I'm in favor of it for sure. Uh, it's kind of going back to my whole perspective on this whole thing versus uh, 
maybe looking at like even with the schedule right oh it's so tough you know it's gonna be tough so i, I i'm tending to look at these on the positive side just because of how beaten down we've been yeah i i'd say i'm i'm in that same boat of being very excited to watch all of these you know the video of uh of brewster getting them to stand up and stand down you know i want my team prepared for a fire drill i've you know if they if there's a fire in the champion center I know that the CU football players are going to make it out. Well, they didn't make them stop, drop, and roll, though. Come on. <laughs> you think? I don't I'm know if assuming, they're ready. I, I think maybe by next week, I, I, I am confident. I would not be confident that the whole team would make it out under a Carl Durrell-led team. <laughs> I mean, that was, a, that was a trash fire. Yeah. So the ones that transferred did make it out. So in all fairness, maybe they do know how to get out of a fire. Yeah, but that's what I was really impressed with. Because it's just like... The, the what they've built so far and they haven't even played a game and it's not even like off season conditioning or anything. Like they're just still building it and how far they've gotten. And just like, I really appreciate the, but it kind of reminds me of the rise a little bit. I know the rise wasn't posted as frequently. It wasn't as, um, um, up to date, like the rise, uh, whatever the documentary by, I think it was, John Snelson, right? Snelson, yeah. 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 yeah, it was weekly, and Dion's juniors are daily, but Dion yeah. Jr. doesn't really do a lot of editing and whatnot. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see it, see it, but also do have some of those same worries of please don't record something bad. But I still think it's, I think it's changing. I, I think, and I, I believe in them. I think, I think they have someone watching them. You know, yeah. speaking of Snelson, he's not gone, right? Right. I'm so excited for him. And I was gonna say I really he's hope one of the most talented, one of the most talented videographers ever. Like it doesn't matter what school, what you know, what genre, you know, sports, otherwise documentaries. He's just unbelievably talented. He's a beast. And he and this I is his time, baby. I can't wait. You know, obviously there's a lot of cameras rolling all the time with Dion Jr., but Snelson's gonna be able to do something just absolutely incredible. And you know, hopefully Dion Jr. is le- learning from Snelson as well. You know, I know that. Um, you know, he, the well-off media has a lot of views and a lot, a lot of exposure, but John Snelson's, you know, truly best in the business was probably the shining star of Colorado football for a few years there for better or for worse. And so, um, I can't wait to see what he does. Um, he'll, he's, you know, frankly, he's too good for the job he has and I can't wait for him to move forward, but, um, we're really lucky to have him and I can't wait to see, you know, what comes out of it. And, And hopefully it's Grammy winning or, you know, not Grammy winning, but, you know, um, award-winning videos instead of uh, recruiting violations. You know what I mean? So we'll, we'll yeah. see how, how it ends up. But um, uh, The these... dispersions are so wide. <laughs> We're talking about like <laughs> Academy Award-winning documentaries and then also like death penalty here. <laughs> but you can have both. Have to believe you can have they're... both. You know, you can <laughs> <laughs> you gotta believe no such thing as bad publicity so you know any publicity is better than what's been happening in colorado at least you know the city of denver is aware that there's a football team in boulder and um you know i'll, I'll take it with the understanding that there's probably gonna be some some drawbacks as well i i just want to add that there are some clips that really got me fired up we were joking about that coach brew clip but when they were all saying we're we coming we coming they kept repeating themselves that got me fired up so I think the players are starting to believe it. And then I don't know if you guys saw, but Dion went around and had all the grad transfers speak. And he asked him, why are you guys coming here? And they were all, they all said to win. 
they, he asked all the coaches, why are you guys coming here to win? He is ingraining in these kids' brains that we're winning now. That's the goal. It's not to compete anymore. It's not to make CU relevant anymore. It's not to make CU five and six. It's to win. So and that it's not got to me build the program, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he has no interest in building. He wants to to win now. And unfortunately for him, you know, you can do that right now in college football. Right. I mean, right? that's just so. Dion's mentality. Like Monday Night Football, when he's on with the Manning brothers, Eli was asking him, "Hey, Dion, like, what do you prefer being a defensive back? Do you prefer man? Do you prefer zone?" What was your playbook like in Dallas? And Dion laughed and he said, my playbook is 16 pictures of the guys I was going up against every week. I just had to get their number one receiver and that was my playbook. Dion has the prime attitude. He's going to go out there and win. And he's going to do more than win. He's going to dominate. There's that video clip of him going off to the Jackson State players at halftime when his team was up by 20. And he was ticked off that Jackson State wasn't dominating. And I just love that energy that Dion's bringing. And we're seeing it on Monday Night Football. We're seeing it on these well-off media videos. We're seeing it all over the place. Like There was another well-off media video that Dion got a new menu for the the dining area for the athletes. He's very detail-oriented. He's fixing everything around the program. He met with some of the support staff and went around the horn and understood what everyone did. And it, even there was a, a small detail of, the hotel that they stayed at and where the recruits were staying at. And he said, who's in charge of the hotel? And no one raised their hand. And he, he asked his assistant, he's like, get me in touch with the person that owns the hotel who runs the hotel. Cause I want to meet with them and I want to have a strong relationship with them. So they treat the recruits well and they treat our team. Well, it's little details like that, that are really impressive. It's amazing. And one of the things that really stands out about Dion and his presence, he is he's magnetic and enormous, but the way that he does it is so fascinating because he does not use profanity. In fact, he actively comments on profanity and says, "You can't use profanity. Do not use profanity in front of me." And he doesn't he doesn't, you know, use any substances or even drink and he's been documented multiple times saying that he's never drank or used any sort of illicit substances in his entire life. Right. That's the type of person, even though he's that, even though he's in the media all the time and a lot of the things that get glorified in our culture are more in that vein, he managed to manages to keep this like almost wholesome image while also being what some people view as arrogant. Other people see as confident. And it's just it just makes for some a really fascinating dichotomy that I love, and I think makes him a really really good ambassador for a university. Yeah, and, and just one last point on that. I, I think what's really impressed me more than anything is in the videos that you watch of him with his, you know, at, in this Jackson State days, or even with the team now. He remembers, and I think he understands that, you know, winning is everything, but winning also involves getting those student athletes to be successful and to be better men. And he, you know, he's a leader in ways that, um, you know, it's not just about winning football games necessarily, but it's about, you know, improving the entire program and, and getting to know the support staff and getting to know, you know, the people that make you successful and making sure that they feel valued. And it's just really impressive and, you know, definitely an exciting time. Um, you know, since we're, we're kind of running long on time, we'll, we'll just really quickly touch on Cormani McLean. I know we've, we've kind of talked about it in our, in our personal group chat, but I have to say that, 
you know, it made a lot of news that he was bumped down to a, a four-star recruit on on three. Um, as we've all agreed, on three is a really great transfer um, service. But at the end of the day, if they're going to do us like that, um, I'll be a two four seven guy to like die. Um, he's a five star in my book. Until you know, I I think I'm yeah. in the minority in this group here on this, but I think he's taking Colorado for a ride right now. I do not think Cormani McLean is going to be a buff next year. Um, I I think this is all for show. But, you know, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are. And really quick, for reference for listeners that aren't super in tune with recruiting, Cormani McLean is the second overall recruit per 247 Sports. He's the number one quarterback in the nation for this 2023 class. Um, But, yeah, guys, what what are your overall thoughts? I think think he really likes the spotlight, and I, I honestly have no idea where he's going. It's either CU or Miami. Yeah, I mean, Chase, the slogan isn't, we're not coming. It's we coming. Cormani McLean is coming to the bus. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, I just I think it's one of those things where he's he's kind of burned the bridge with Miami. So it'll be curious to see. Obviously, they'll welcome him back with open arms 100 percent But it's one of those things where he's kind of the last domino to fall. Obviously, would love to have him in Boulder. That secondary would just be absolutely Looney Tunes lethal if he decides to come here. But at the end of the day, I think Deion Sanders is also a locker room guy. And I think Deion Sanders is the type of guy, you know, if you've seen the videos, he he's the kind of guy, the coach that's like no cell phones in the, in the locker room. You know, you will pay attention. You will subscribe to my philosophy. And I'm starting to wonder just kind of based off of what's happened. If, if Cormani McLean's the kind of player that can jive with that system. Um, you know, obviously I've never met him. I, I'm just talking purely through my, my speculation, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, is, is Colorado the fit for him um, to Jake's point? I really do think it's between Miami and Colorado and it'd be kind of surprising to see him sort of pseudo burn that bridge and then end up going back to Miami. But at some point I just have to think that, you know, after he posted all those pictures on Instagram and, and didn't decide to commit that he's just enjoying the spotlight and, and, and probably taking us for a ride. And so this goes back to the conversation about the transfer portal. I think I agree with you, Chase. I think that there is a, there's definitely an air of ostentatiousness or whatever word you want to use that's going on here uh, with regard to, to Cormani McLean. But at the same time, uh, he could go to Miami and end up at Colorado next year anyways. Right. <laughs> so I just love the fact that we're yeah, in this that's conversation. A, that's a great point. That's a great point. Sam, did you have anything you want to add? No, I just have a, um, supreme confidence he's coming to see you love it love to hear it i will say chase if he's pulling cu's leg i don't know if he would bring his grandma along to visit cu or maybe you know maybe to get her, get her a nice mountain view but his grandma and his mom came out to see you so hopefully that's a good sign who knows he's a really and, really tough kid to read and for the record i was also the one literally 25 minutes or whatever before travis hunter decided to come here who was starting to say oh, i'm not sure maybe he won't come so Obviously, I don't have any insider information. Just keep um, but talking. That, but Just that keep does, talking. yeah, it, it turns out maybe this is the best thing I could do to get him to come to school in Boulder. But with that being said, I have no inside information, but we can go ahead and start our draft for people who certainly do. Uh, we This week, we wanted to do a draft of our favorite CU reporters or CU-related reporters. I love that um, transition, Chase. Great job. Yeah. Um, so we'll be doing a, a three-round draft now. Jake has said, you know, I've been the first person to draft, I think the last, basically in every draft that we've done. And so Jake called into question, um, famous um, draft denier Jake 
um, called into question the order. And so he went ahead and ran it for ourself. And I was once again selected first overall. So with that being said, um, I, I think, think we need an audit recount. <laughs> yeah, we need an audit. Yeah. Um, Some hanging with, chats. With that being said, um, this is an obvious pick for me for a CU reporter. Um, we decided to kind of give a broad definition of this when we're drafting today, but without question, um, number one overall has to be the voice of the Buffaloes. He does have a Twitter account. He's certainly a reporter, um, but Mark Johnson's just the obvious first overall pick, and I'm stoked to have him on my team. Between the eyes, great pick. So I'm going to throw it back. So there's no – I don't think that there's any rules about this being current or in the past. So I'll take Mark Johnson's former counterpart, Larry Zimmer, who was the voice of the bus for, for decades and through some amazing times and saw some great uh, memories and I believe uh, has great calls from, from the national championship game. A phenomenal 19- pick for any listeners who might be over the age of 75 years old. So that, that was hey. really and attended hey, CU hey. with Sarayas. No, I, no, I really respect that pick. I'm I'm glad Larry Zimmer went in the first round. That's a great pick. All right. Um, I guess I'll pick a uh, reporter. <laughs> um, in the CU reporter draft, I'm taking a uh, Brian Howell. Oh, I can't great believe! Pick. Great pick. I can't believe you guys let me draft That's, this guy with the fourth overall pick. Sorry, Sam. Did you want to hype up Brian? Oh yeah, I was gonna get it. just like you know he's always Mister Reliable. He's always there. He's got his his weekly uh, things you can hop in and talk about the buffs, and people have some extremely um, out there takes on there. And he's always very calm and poised. And yeah, I really I really enjoy reading everything he puts out there. If I had not gotten the first overall pick, and I, I thought about taking Howell number one overall, um, I, I think that's great value for you, Sam. And I don't care what Jake's about to pick. Uh, your pick was the right pick there. I will say, I don't want to bash Brian Howell. Brian Howell does a really good job. But I think the number one overall pick is obvious. Adam Mustard Tiger, 247, does yep. a phenomenal job. Great he pick. covers recruiting, he covers football, he covers a little bit of basketball. He is just a great, solid reporter. If you're on the 247 boards, if you're not on it, I would highly recommend it. But he does a really good job of covering recruiting. He's also respectful to the recruits. He doesn't break any recruiting news. He lets the recruits have their moment, break the news. He does a really good job of having inside sources and just building out trust with the athletic department. So Adam Mustard Tiger gets my vote. The two four seven board actually raised some money for both Brian and and Adam. They're both great reporters, so want to give them both a shout out. Yeah, that's that's a great pick. Uh, with my my second overall pick, and I'm not one hundred percent certain you're gonna let me get away with this, but I'm gonna go ahead and take Chris Fowler. Um, he is in fact a CU reporter, um, and anyone who tries to say that he's not. I will remind you that he is a graduate of the prestigious university of Colorado Boulder. So go ahead and give me Chris Fowler. It's a good pick. I appreciate his uh, Instagram videos on top of 14ers in Colorado. All right. So there's quite a few good names left on the board, but I got to give a shout out to our guy, Jake Shapiro. I got to take him, man. I got to take about, him. I thought He's about one taking of us. He's one of us. He was there at the beginning of Folsom Frenzy. He's, you know, he he has some hot takes that get some people pretty heated, but he's our guy, you know. <laughs> we still see him around every now and again. He's still out there grinding and doing his thing. 
So I got, I got, I got to go with it, man. Like, yeah. and, and he's got the futures thing going too, right? He's super young. He's still got a full career ahead of him, and he he's got great hot takes, man. It, it anger people. That's all you got to do. You just got to be like Mark Hisla, anger people long <laughs> enough until you have a permanent job. <laughs> right. It's a controversial right. pick. I'll always remember when he published the article, "The Rise Is Dead" in 2017, right before that year. And that was he wrong. He wasn't wrong. No, he was not wrong. <laughs> All right. With my with my second pick, um, I'm gonna go with the pulse of the student body, aka CU Barstool. That's a good pick. I actually had him on my board. I don't like that pick at all. They know a lot. Anon- they... Is that just an anonymous person, like an ind- anonymous individual? Are we allowing this? Yeah, we that's an entity. Chase picked someone that just went to CU and doesn't report on. <laughs> but but Barstool is is CU Barstool like one person? Is that an I'm allowing it. individual? I'm allowing it. I'm, I'm going to give it to him. Oh. Do a good job. I'm going to give it to him because CU Barstool breaks a lot of news these days that frankly they shouldn't have the 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 lead on, or at least they're the fastest to put it on my Twitter feed. So they talk to a bunch of players. They they're they're close. They're they're inside the team. We got to figure out who runs that account and get them on the pod. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening. Hit us up. See you, Barstools, right. you mysterious man or woman. All right, Jake. All right. I'm all torn here. Sorry, give me a second. Am I allowed no. to pick two people, or did you guys throw a flag on that? You can't pick two people. Okay. Oh. Unless well, they're a nebulous single entity. <laughs> yeah. They, they kind of are. <laughs> all right, with my next pick, I'm going to go with Ryan Konigsberg at DMVR. He, he is in the beat reporter for the Buffs right now, but he joins the Buffs podcast with Jake Sch- on it. So I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but Ryan's a big time CU fan. He was on the Buffs beat a while ago. Has a lot of great insight. He had some great insight for the Week Zero ASU game. Had a good theory on that. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with Ryan with my pick. That's a good pick. Um, I think with my last pick, I just I ha- I have to I have to do it. I have to take take Chase Howell. You know, purely. The chase, the chase, the chase connection has to has to happen here. Um, chase, if you ever actually listen to our podcast, please follow me back on Twitter. You know, we should have that kind of rapport here uh, with the same names. But he does an excellent job. Um, I know he's not particularly dedicated um, 100% to the buffs, but he does um, cover the buffs a lot on 247. Um, frankly, I think his betting content is really good as well, um, but also really good as far as see hoops is concerned. A lot of those guys um kind of neglect hoops as we are currently on our podcast um which will soon be rectified but i, I think he's a, a, a great add um to the team and uh, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and call this draft over before it even started um yet another win for chase in the drafting department yeah maybe you're right chase but but for me we haven't we haven't hit our actual cu propaganda man neil welk Neil Welk, the that's a steal. Man. Steal in the third round. Neil, so yeah, what I loved, what I loved about Neil Welk, I don't know if there is any tight media control coming from the school because he was, I think he was actually reporting directly from the from cubuffs.com. Um, God, there's the worst seasons. Just these beautiful puff pieces that <laughs> you can just read and and feel good about for about two seconds until you get, you know wake up from your dream and see that your team lost fifty five to seven yet again. Uh, shout out to Neil for keeping it light, you know, for, for people who are cynical like me, you know, just have a good laugh every now and again about how things are going great. Uh, but hopefully now, now that's not just puff pieces anymore. Right. You know, 
<laughs> I love it, man. I love it, Neil. You know, the dichotomy between Neil and Shap, as far as like absolute <laughs> pessimist and absolute optimist, is it really rounds out your team nicely. That that was a great pick. I agree. <laughs> oh man, Chase, you really you really ruined my whole plan here. I was going for I was trying to go for the Howell dynasty, and I I missed the Chase to Chase connection. So I've really had to dig back into my draft research for this final pick. Um, just like earlier we said we were ne- neglecting CU basketball, uh, I'm going to pick Pat Rooney. I need, I, I need some coverage of the basketball team. And, you know, if there's a place to go to see what's going on with that team when I forget to watch the games, I, I can always check out his columns. And he does a, I've, I think he adds a lot to my uh, to my squad. All right, and to round us out, this guy isn't directly on the CU beat, but everyone knows him, everyone loves him. I'm going with Joel Klatt, the CU legend. He's pumping up CU on a national level. He played a role in getting prime to CU. Going with Joel Klatt. I didn't know we could just pick people that went to CU. I thought they had to be covering the team. It's a made-up draft, Sam. There's no rules, but I, I do have to say – you know, I was I was stuck between Chris Fowler and Joel Klatt. I, I didn't think I should take both of them, but I had to give the edge to Chris because he always says my beloved Buffaloes, or at least used to on college game day. And uh, I've never heard Joel Klatt do that. I know Joel Klatt's a regular listener of our podcast, so shout out, Joel, if you could uh, take care of that in the future. So <laughs> I do have to give a shout out to another one of my favorite guys. I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't draft you, but Bill Walton, baby. I wanted to take Bill Walton so bad. <laughs> Bill, Bill Walton. You totally Walton. could have picked Bill Walton. Bill Walton is one of the best representatives of Boulder. Not not the school, but of, but of Boulder as a city that I've ever seen in my entire life. Pasta Jays would be closed. It would just be if closed. it was not for Bill Walton. I just uh, I love the fact that you can be watching a basketball game and in the middle of it, Bill Walton will just start talking about the Ogallalo Aquifer. It's <laughs> <laughs> some, <laughs> some random geographic feature and how it's the greatest thing in the entire universe. Like literally, this is the greatest thing in the universe. Millions of sentient beings are sustaining their lives based on, <laughs> you know, Almost I as good it. as the lasagna from Pasta Jays. <laughs> and I think while we warmly think about Bill Walton, here's another uh, fast transition there for you, Jake. Uh, that's a great time to transition over to CU Hoops. Um, you know, just from the get-go, first reactions, um, I have to say this has maybe not been the CU season that we hoped for. Certainly not the one that we were reminiscing about as we hyped up Tad in our last regularly scheduled episode. Um, there's been this is an up and down team. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and, and just off the start say that I thought the LA road trip was disappointing, not only because I really thought we should have beaten USC and thought we would, um, even though we were slight underdogs going into the game, but there was a while. I mean, frankly, the UCLA game is one of those games that you have to win if you, if you're a serious basketball team. So, you know, not, not because, you know, we were supposed to win, but if you're winning like that, you know, early on, you need to be able to close games out and not just disappear. I will say that, I thought one of the bright spots of this last road trip was Lawson Lovering has really kind of come into his own. He's never going to be a guy who he kind of reminds me of Josh Scott, um, where he's not necessarily a guy that's going to lay just a ton of points on you, but he gets boards, you know, he gets up, 
you know, everyone's grimacing because I said he's like Josh Scott. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dude, I need to jump in. He is like <laughs> Ben Mills. He is like Ben Mills, not Josh Scott. Let me he correct the record. He played a lot. I don't know. Well, yeah, clearly you didn't watch Jake because <laughs> he, <laughs> he played a lot better as Chase indicated in that in that. No, I'm trip, talking like KU game. USC. I'm talking KU game, Ben Mills. Like Boston Lovering got, has been got, uh, Ben Mills got four points in the KU game. Four right? pivotal points. <laughs> he shut down Embiid. Embiid's <laughs> got nothing on him. No, no, no hate on Lovering, but he's not quite Josh Scott level. But yeah, Lovering is definitely coming in on his own. Yeah, it's it's an interesting team. I didn't I didn't know if I should have very high expectations for them this year. Especially, oh my gosh, after they lost to Grambling earlier in the season, I I was ready to stick a fork in them. And then they turn around next game and beat Tennessee in in the state yeah, of Tennessee. Man. Yeah, in the state of Tennessee. It wasn't it wasn't technically a home game, but it was a home game, right? I mean, it's down the street basically compared to Boulder. So, that that really recalibrated the expectations briefly. Right. And then they went on that, uh, they went to that tournament and they were just up and down, right. Lost to, lost to UMass beat Texas A&M. Who's now I think leading the sec and then turn around and lost to a good Boise state team. They lost to a good Boise state team. Um, so, and then the, the worst loss of all, they, they lost to Cal and I get that they, they were down 20 with like three minutes left and they almost came back. But you can't lose to Cal. Like, you just can't lose to Cal. That is so bad. They've been so uneven. And I know that every CU fan that's been, you know, watching these games sees a little bit of of what's happening. And there is a mixture of things happening. One of the consistent themes during the earlier losses before this road trip was purely – lack of effort on defense, right? Against Grambling, I didn't have the opportunity to watch the entirety of that Grambling game, but you did not, you do not allow a SWAC team to put up 83 points on you in any context. That's not okay, right? That's a team. And then to turn around and then play well against a team that is probably could easily win the SEC this year, they're an SEC contender, literally the next game, it just shows you it was an effort problem. And I, I struggled, you know, and then the Cal game too. Cal's offense was just absolutely atrocious all season. I think they put up in the 40s against Utah before that game where they put up in the 80s against CU. That, that was clearly an effort problem with, with defense. And maybe maybe the team is still, you can make the argument, yeah, they're still young. And the way that Tad Boyle builds teams, there's always two down years and then two up years. It seems to be a bit of a cycle. But you can't, you can't do that. You, you can't allow the lack of effort to be the reason why you're losing against some really bad teams. Now, that said, that LA series, that was something else. That was tur- just horrible, horrible turnovers. That was, especially down the stretch in that UCLA game, it was infuriating to watch. They could not, and I get that UCLA is elite. I get that they're elite, but they could not run an offense. They just could not run an offense. They just do their curl screens going around the, you know, going around the horn basically and kept hitting a wall. There was just no flow. There was no rhythm. There was no plan. It just looked like they were just hoping that maybe someone could just jack up a, a shot and hit a three, a contested three and maybe get lucky and have it go in. And they blew a huge lead. They were up, I think nine with a decent amount of time, you know, chipped away 
in the second half, and they just completely fell apart, completely fell apart. So, look, you know, moving forward, I, I don't know what to believe anymore with this particular team. I do know that next year we have Cody Williams coming in, who actually went up in the transfer. He went up in the recruiting rankings and now is, I think, a top eight player in the country. That's very exciting. We haven't had a one and done in a very, very long time at CU. So that'll be great. And maybe just integrating that into the system will make a big difference. You know, there are some good guards. There's some, there's good players, individual players on this team, which is kind of typical for a Tad Boyle team, right? But I just did not like what I saw on that last road trip. And it's it's kind of leaving a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I mean, if the players are really good, that only leaves one option, right, Jake? You're going to throw me under the bus here? Just trying to beat out the anti-tab slander. Is now the time? No, before we get Jake Jake started, um, I do want to just quickly give a a, a shout out because I've been, you know, I know expectations were pretty high, but KJ Simpson has been phenomenal this year. Just absolutely phenomenal. Um, And Tristan Da Silva is actually, you know, I know people really thought he was going to be exceptional this year and he's, maybe not quite been exceptional, but he's been very, very good um, for the buffs. And so like it's frustrating because the pieces are there now. I don't know if Tristan's going to come back next year. Um, I believe he's a junior this year, uh, like a true junior. And then KJ Simpson's a sophomore. So, you know, with Cody Williams coming in, I really do think that we're going to get kind of a run where we're going to have some, some legitimate veterans on the team with, with Tristan and and, um, KJ, you know, at, at that point, you know, Luke O'Brien will be coming back. Um, you'll have some some serious veteran guys as well as some incredible talent with Cody Williams coming in. You know, I, I think it's going to be an exciting year, but I'm also tired of saying, you know, there's always next year. I know Jake is really tired of saying there's always next year. Um, with that being said, there will be no Tad Boyle slander on this podcast tonight. Um, so unless Jake really wants to get started, I think we go ahead and um, give a, a quick shout out to CU Women's Hoops, uh, who have also been genuinely actually exceptional um you know jr Payne was maybe on the hot seat there for a little while at least when i was in school um and so to see that team really coming together um those ladies love playing for jr Payne. um you know it, it's a good team and it's it's pretty exciting so you know any thoughts you know i know people don't maybe catch the games quite as much but there's something special going on in boulder with the women's hoops hoops team yeah turning around beating an undefeated utah team that's a big deal I uh, didn't have the opportunity to watch it um, in, in, you know, live broadcast. I was following on GameCast since that's all I had at the time, but I'm impressed with this team. A lot of these names are familiar names, like to people who've been, you know, following CU women's hoops for the last few years, like Jalen Sherrod. Uh, that's a, that's definitely kind of a, a well-known name in that, in that arena. And uh, you know, returning players who were, were pretty good as freshmen last year, like Frida Foreman, Kendall Weta who's from down south part of Denver, like like some of us are. So that's, that's kind of uh, pretty cool to see someone like that succeed at Boulder. So turning around from that and then going ahead and beating a, an Arizona team and getting themselves ranked, that's really exciting. And I think that we should all try to pay more attention to this team moving forward because, you know, it wasn't super, super long ago when Seal Barry was running things at CU in the, in the 90s and, and 2000s where that team was actually outdrawing the men's team in attendance. 
And I know we don't have Ted here, but Ted, uh, Ted has a lot of great stories uh, about being at those games back in that day. And we'll have to pick his brain on that at some point for sure. But it's exciting stuff, and and hopefully they do well. That would be a that'd be a really great because that is a that is a sport that gets some attention, you know, the women's hoops side. So shout out to the team, we love it. Yeah, I love it. They finally got their ranking; they're in the top twenty-five. Guys, I want to go back to the men's hoops really quick. What are your guys' expectations for the rest of the season? We're kind of at that midway point of, of Pac-12 play. What what are your overall expectations? Where do you guys want this team to end up? Preseason ranking in the standings in the Pac-12, this team was supposed to be sixth. Now I believe they're ninth. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, ninth. Yeah. What What is your guys' expectation for this team? Uh, hopefully they play well in their home games because they have done that all season, right? They I think they've only lost once at home, and that was to ASU on a – on a basically a buzzer beater, just a heartbreaking loss where they were up by 15 coming down the stretch in the second half. So it looks like they have seven home games left. So including one against UCLA, but otherwise unranked teams. So hopefully, hopefully they can win those, those home games. Um, But it's hard. It's just hard to have expectations for this team at this point. At this point, I, I would be happy with an NIT bid. Uh, they're they're currently eleven and eight. That's that's already that's like NIT bubble quality, and they do have some NIT bubble quality wins, like beating Tennessee. That's huge, right? But at the same time, that you know, f- fading down the stretch, it's just it's going to be hard to justify. And I think that that's kind of the ceiling of what we're looking at here. I don't even know if they're going to be capable of hosting an NIT game with this team. So. Hopefully, uh, yeah, it's it stinks to say because I, I want to I want to look at this team because they did have such a highly recruited, uh, highly rated recruiting class last year too, and they're they're kind of struggling right now. And hopefully, they can show us some signs of life and then inject that into next season. Where if we don't do well, it's going to be we're definitely going to hear some hear some calls for for change of some sort. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you just gotta hope they're playing their best basketball at the end of the year, and you get some magical run in the Pac-12 tournament because they have it. They have the upside to compete with the best teams in the Pac-12. It's just not consistent. But if you can string it together for how many games is it? Is it five or six? Six games in like three days or whatever in the Pac-12 tournament, or however however many games they play. You win all of those, you're in. You know what I mean? I think this team can do that. They put it together for two games in a row, but if they can string in a couple more, I think they have a chance. That's a good point, Sam. So it could it could be a situation like the 2012 team or the that Oregon State team a couple of years ago that beat CU in the in the championship game. They've proven that they can beat anyone anywhere, but they've also proven that they can lose to anyone anywhere. So that's the terrifying part of it. They got the full spectrum. Yeah, yeah I, I think the problem is to be a team that can can run through, you have to be more consistent than this team has been. This team seems to no-show games. I know what's going to get – what gets Jake all hot and bothered is the fact that, like, there's a lot of games where there's just no effort there, and it, it seems like the guys just don't want to be there. Um, I will go on record. Everyone hot and bothered. 
I will go on record of saying that you are never, ever, ever, ever going to fire a coach who brings in recruits like Cody Williams. It's just never going to happen. Colorado is just not the kind of basketball school that ever got people like Cody Williams. But I also, you know, to your original question about what do you expect for this team, Washington and Washington State are absolute must-win games. Those are both at home. Those teams are both dog, just absolutely horrible. Um, and that's not a Husky pun whatsoever. Um, at Oregon, that's going to be interesting to see. You know, can the Buffs only play at home? Or, you know, we we dominated Oregon and Oregon State. Um, and that was an effort win, right? Like those were defensive wins where we just suffocated both of those teams from, from basically start to finish. Um, and then you get Cal and Stanford. It's entirely reasonable that we, we, I mean, we should be expecting to go probably five and one or maybe even six and oh in those next six games. If that happens, then maybe we start thinking about stringing together a, a, a hot team into the Pac-12 um, tournament. We are absolutely not an at-large bid um, into March Madness. I think I agree where if this team continues to play like they have been, they're probably not even going to be an NIT invitation. And I pray to God that we have enough dignity at this point to not accept CBI. The... CBI. No, yeah, I just... CU I, fans I, love the CBI. I just, I, I hope that we kind of pack it up and realize that, you know, I, I don't foresee anyone leaving, um, maybe Tristan, but I, I really don't see it. And so this can be a team that can really get it together and maybe be special next year. But, you know, they have to get some wins right now. Now's the time. Unfortunately, this is the kind of team that's going to, you know, go beat the hell out of Washington and then get just devastated by Washington state at home. Like that, that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Right. And so, it's, it's one of those things where I just want to see effort and I want to see the building blocks for next year. Um, I, I don't necessarily expect to see that at this point. Yeah, I thought you guys all brought up great points. A, a couple of guys I want to see step up in this second half of Pac-12 play. The big one that comes to mind is Nate Clifford. I thought he's been struggling as of late. Some people like joked on Twitter like they want to see him out of here. But I think Nick's, Nick's a really talented player. We just need to see him step up. Um, same thing with Tristan Da Silva and he, he, what was that game where he went off? I mean, he's had some really good games, but he, he's one of the upperclassmen on this team and let's just see him step up even more. And he's had overall a good season, I would say, but would just love to see those two guys step up even more. Um, but with that, I think, do you guys have anything else to add on that? No, I think uh, it was the Oregon game, right? It was the Oregon game where Tristan went off. Yeah, it got a lot of individual talent. It's just yeah, uh, yeah, it's painful. It's pain. It is painful to watch those turnovers and then the lack of effort at times on defense. So that's got to change. There, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take, but that that's just not okay. Like the the fans. There's a reason, you know. And this is a whole other topic of conversation. But the CU basketball attendance has gone off a cliff, right? It's been declining every year for like almost the last decade since we hit our peak where we sold out almost every game back in what 2013, um, something like that. It's it's not good. It's it's just uh, it it's definitely concerning that the trajectory where things are at, even though we have that big but possible one and done coming in. So we'll we'll just have to see. I I hope that I hope that there's a way to to get that turn around. Um, We'll find out. Yeah, I just have to say one more closing thought. You guys have mentioned my my views towards the head coaching situation. And I'll I'll do an official review of the season at the end of the year. Um, but I would 
I would want nothing more but to be proven wrong, right? Like we all love CU. We're all passionate about CU. I I think I have higher standards for the basketball team than a lot of CU fans, but let's hash it out at the end of the season. Um, but ultimately, I want this team to go undefeated for the rest of the season, right? So look forward to that. But thanks for joining us on this podcast episode. Um, look forward to recording more podcasts about football and basketball as we come to the end of basketball season. Uh, but thanks for joining us.